Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I hear uh, birds chirping and beautiful paradise behind you. Have you died and gone to hockey heaven? I have, and hockey heaven is where the GMs decide to hold their meetings, and that's a fancy resort in Boca Raton, Florida. Ooh, now what? What define fancy for me? What makes it fancy? Oh, it's fancy. There, there's people who watch you when you walk through the halls, and like you don't belong. <laughs> that's fancy. That's <laughs> how that's how I feel in most health clubs. Anyway, so the the, the show today is going to be a, a giant stew of great things. We've got John Bouchagrass on the NCAA men's hockey tournament. We've got uh, Jason Zucker of the uh, of the Minnesota Wild uh, talking about a great many things. We're going to talk about goalie interference, the GM meetings, the playoff races, and all that stuff and more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Well, hey everybody, it's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. In beautiful Boca Raton. Uh, With and, the and birds and the bees. The birds and the bees. I hope someone's giving you the talk, Emily. Hey, now. You're down there for the GM meetings, so the open ice segment today is going to be about goalie interference and the many joys of it. What have you learned so far insofar as how the power brokers of the National Hockey League are going to fix this mess? I haven't learned much, to be honest with you. Uh, what's funny is the first day of meetings was yesterday, Monday, as we're recording this. And on the agenda, they allotted about 90 minutes to talk about goal interference. They knew it was a hot topic of the year of the league. Uh, it took more than three hours. It was your entire agenda on Monday. It just totally overtook everything. They have to still talk about it on Tuesday a little bit. They're going to probably talk about it on Wednesday, too. And nothing has been decided. The sense I got from reading your your uh, work on this and, and what's been sort of tweeted out from the comments of G- the GMs, there's two things. The first seems like there's a push to centralize these calls in the NHL war room to not allow the referees to use their uh, intuition and their uh, <laughs> magic tablets to make the calls anymore. And the other thing, and I thought this was kind of strange, it seemed like there is a prevailing thought from a lot of the GMs that this might not be the problem we all think it is that most of the time the calls are correct. What, what, if, what have you heard about those two aspects? Yeah, well, Colin Campbell, who works uh, as a big suit in the league office, did a big <laughs> show and tell for the media yesterday and said pretty much there's been 170 video reviews this year. Only six or nine of them, he said, in his internal office did they debate of, like, whether was this right or wrong. So they think, for the most part, that's a pretty minuscule number. It was pretty funny watching, you know, I think every GM has a different opinion. Lula Morello with the Leafs came out yesterday and was like, it's a problem, but it's going to get fixed and there's going to be change and change is coming soon. We just got to make sure we clarify it. Meanwhile, Mark Bergevin came out and he's a GM of the Montreal Canadiens and like, there's nothing major of a problem here. And I don't think the system's broken. This is just a small percentage, one or two percent. Like, I'm not worried about it. So right. you see, there's, there's kind of a wide array there. I don't think it is as big of a problem. I, I think there was a lot of finger pointing from those in the league to us media saying, you guys are the ones amplifying it. This really isn't huge. At the same time, we've also seen them point fingers at the likes of Cam Talbot and coaches who've complained about it too. They just don't want people talking about it. 
Yeah, that's weird. I thought the Colin Campbell, every time Colin Campbell speaks, something, uh, some lunacy is going to leave his mouth. Uh, my favorite thing this week by far was the idea that goalie coaches are now uh, instructing their goaltenders to uh, flop and flail and draw calls. Oh my gosh. Which it was is hilarious uh, when he said that too, because he was like, they're not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. They're embellishing it and they're learning it from someone. Yeah, cause, cause you know what, what a goalie coach really is going to do is instruct his, uh, his netminder to put himself out of position to try to draw a penalty. I'm like, it's just, it's just nonsense. It's like, it's the antithesis of what a goaltending coach is going to do, which is to teach them sound positioning and, and trying to make saves versus, oh, you know, if, if anyone's in front of you, make sure you drop to the ice because you might get a call. Meanwhile, the other team might get a goal. Um, I talked to a goalie coach. I was texting with him uh, when when Campbell said that. He found it to be sort of absurd. He couldn't speak for all goalie coach, coaches. But the idea that you're going to mess with the karma of of, of of teaching your goalies to flop and flail uh, seemed be, sort of beyond the pale to him. But but what have you? The, the, going back to to the 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 bigger issue. The NHL's always been very steadfast about not trying to quote unquote take these calls away from the on ice officials making them. Do you get the sense that that's no longer the modus operandi? That that there's a very good chance they are going to take these calls away and, and try to stick it in the war room. I think there's a chance, and and right now, as you speak on Tuesday, they put in a call to the PA, the Players Association. They have to get their input before they implement any in season changes. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the way we're trending and. I also think, you know, some an interesting thing that I got out of this was Stephen Walcom, who's the head of officiating. I was talking to him a little bit afterwards yesterday, and he was saying this reminds him a lot of the kicking and non-kicking motion oh, uh, issue that happened a couple years ago, where he said at some point they were just seeing things that didn't exist anymore because we were just harping on it. And, and he said it was very reminiscent of this. So I do think, you know, I go back to Gary Bettman's comments at the All-Star game. We're overthinking it. We just kind of need to go with what's obvious, but... The most hilarious thing was they showed clips for us media. They showed, I think, six or seven of them. They did the same for the GMs of controversial calls this year, and they made everyone raise their hands. What do you think this is? Is this goalie interference or not? And the room was split, and apparently it was split with the GMs too. So I think when it's that subjective, they're going to try to get a voice, you know, to kind of play God and say what it is. At the same time, I don't know if that voice is going to speak for everyone because it's subjective to everyone. Yeah, but that, I think, I think we've gotten to a point, cause they've done this dumb thing where they show the GMs a bunch of plays and then it's the same thing every year. They walk out of the room, they're like, well, you know, half of them thought it was little interference and half of them <laughs> didn't. And then you're just, and, and this has been going on for decades now that they do this. And so I think we've gotten to the point where with goalie interference in particular, it is going to be subjective. Everybody sees it differently. Everybody has different standards. A goalie's obviously going to feel differently about this than a scorer will or a skater will. I think we've gotten to a point where we need to do one of two things. Either get rid of it within the, the purview of the coach's challenge because it's, it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. And, and, you know, based on what you've heard there, that's not the, that's not what they should do because most people say that they get it right most of the time. Or we, we say what you just said. We make it the eye of God. We make, you know, one place centralize the power. It's no longer balls and strikes or pass interference where every uh, official has their own standard. It's one standard, one place, one group of eyes on the games every night. And to me, that's the only way we're going to be comfortable if it's going to be part of the review process is if we take the subjectivity out of it, if we take the individual referee's eyes off of it and we put it in one spot. 
I'm with you. And I just know that as fans, this is something I'd want to monitor because as we stand now, we're just a couple weeks away, less than that from the playoffs. So I'm curious to see what, if any, changes they can implement before then. Uh, anything else from GMs worth mentioning? No. Today was literally <laughs> the most non-newsiest, non-news day. George Paris came out and was like, yeah, we did some house cleaning. We talked about some issues, uh, some of the things that guys had, and we're going to table that for uh, you know later discussions. So and then, and I, every- I have nothing fun to report. And everybody hit the links for some golf and more golf. Uh, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad David that David Poyle eats some cookies. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> he was, Poyle doesn't he was under golf. pressure at the deadline, and then decided he just wanted all the cookies. Yeah, Poyle, Poyle's a Boy Scout. He's going to do what he does. And besides, he's got the best team in hockey by leaps and bounds right now, so he can do whatever he wants. Um, now it's time for the extra attacker. Joining us down the line is. Well, the grandmaster of hockey on ESPN, the man you love, the man you know, the man who will tell you all you need to know about college hockey. He is John mm-hmm. Bucciagras. Bucci, welcome to ESPN on Ice. Great to be here. Big fan. First time caller. What is your take when you saw the brackets come out about the NCAA men's hockey tournament and uh, some surprises and some early, uh, early uh, favorites? Well, you know, as you know, they use the, the pairwise system, so it's very simple. Not a lot of surprises. Everyone accepts it pretty much uh, for the way it is, so they know who's getting in. It's just a matter of coming up with the matchups. And you know, there's there's so much parity and uh, in college hockey, the seedings uh, don't matter too much. It, it's you know, sometimes you get some fun matchups, some intrigue. You know, three Minnesota schools uh, out there in in, uh, in Sioux Falls, which is interesting. Obviously, the Frozen Four being in St. Paul, Minnesota at the XL Energy Center. Um, I, you know, I've been kind of rooting for a Minnesota school. I was hoping maybe we get two. Obviously, they put all the, they put three of them right there in that region, so that, that takes care of that in terms of getting more than one. And who knows? Air Force is a good squad. You never know. But we'll, we'll likely get a Minnesota team there to represent in St. Paul, which is cool. That'll give it some juice, much like last year Notre Dame gave Chicago some juice. Um, even though they didn't last very long, but uh, so you know that's kind of an interesting. And also the uh, uh, the Worcester region, the Northeast region, got some you know real classic uh, schools there. Cornell up against BU, um, Michigan under Mel Pearson back in the tournament against a Northeastern team who's trying to hurdle all kinds of things this year. They won the Bean Pod for the first time in forever, and now perhaps make some noise in the NCAA tournament. So uh, yeah, so my favorite time of year. Me and Melrose will be in Bridgeport. At the East Regional, Michigan Tech versus Notre Dame, Providence versus Clarkson. Um, so it's it's just a great couple of weeks. Now, I couldn't help but notice, Bucci, that I was the only pundit in the NCAA men's hockey tournament expert picks that felt that Ohio State would advance rather than Denver. Please tell me why I'm right. Yeah, real good balanced team, great defensive team, which I think a lot of these schools realize – in college hockey, um, you've got to be a great defensive team to kind of move on. Uh, the old days of talent disparity and out skating and out shooting uh, teams, uh, it's just it's not there anymore. These, a lot of players, a lot of teams are older. A lot of teams are very well coached, and you've got to be good defensively. And Ohio State was kind of a run-and-gun team the last few years, but now they bring over Steve Miller, the great assistant. Wherever he goes, he wins. He was in Providence a couple of years ago when they won the national championship in 2015, went to Air Force last year. They had a great run. Um, and now he's with Ohio State supporting that staff. They have NHL players up front in Lazinski. And, you know, again, they play a real good defensive penalty kill style. So certainly Ohio State, if they can get by a high-scoring Princeton team who's really playing well, 
Um, if indeed Denver beats Penn State, then that would that will be a really, really good matchup in Allentown. Now, Bucci, I don't say this because I'm a Penn State grad, but I'm totally saying this because I'm a Penn State grad. Can you tell me who your Cinderella pick is for this year? I think if I had to pick one Cinderella team, it would be Northeastern. As I mentioned before, they're doing things they hadn't done before. That gives them a belief. They could have the Hobie Baker Award winner and Adam Gaudet, unless Ryan Donato won it in his NHL debut. <laughs> teams, teams might see that and say, wait, I guess he's really, really good. Um, maybe we'll vote for him now because he's making such a huge impact in the NHL. I wonder if that's, that sort of subtle thinking will drip into some people's heads. But Northeastern, um, you know, with with that kind of belief and that kind of underdog mentality, again, they win the bean pot. They got a guy who won the Walter Brown award, which was a, is a new England award for college hockey players and God that he could win the Hobie just could be one of those years where they beat a Michigan team and then play either Cornell or BU get to the frozen four. And, um, and I'm sure if they see any team, whether it be Notre Dame, Michigan tech, Providence or Clarkson, they said, we can beat those teams. We can make the final. Like I'm sure they see a realistic path that they could make the final. And, um, you know, it just takes three wins and you're there. And then on the other side, of course, whether it be St. Cloud or Denver or something like that, that could be tough. But I'm sure Northeastern sees a path where they can get to the final without jumping over the moon. So we have a lot of listeners on this podcast that are definitely NHL fans but might not watch college hockey during the year. If you had to point out a couple players who they might recognize that go on to the next level and shine, uh, who might they be? Yeah, certainly, you know, if Harvard had won the ECAC, obviously Ryan Donato would have been the first pick. He would have still been playing, uh, but now he's in Boston. Um, but there there are other, you know, Adam Goddett's a Canuck draft pick. Certainly with the way that team is going, he could be a guy next year in the NHL who's making a bit of an impact. There's free agents out there. We mentioned Ken Lezinski for Ohio State. He's an NHL power forward type of player. That will be a Philadelphia Flyer uh, pretty soon as well. In my region, Clark, this is also a fun time of year because you have NHL free agents. If you're not drafted and then you go play college hockey, um, basically you're a free agent and you can pick your team. So if you're not a first-round pick, uh, sometimes it's almost better not to be drafted. You can pick your own organization. Where's my best shot? Sheldon Rempel of Clarkson had a really good year, 23 points, uh, 23 assists, 46 points, leading scorer for Clarkson. Again, they're in my regional with Melrose out of Bridgeport. He's already being sought after by multiple NHL teams as we speak. They'll be watching him. If Clarkson loses to Providence on Friday, he'll get offers. Um, that's what, you know, it's an interesting time for some of these student athletes where they're going to get offers. Either a drafted player, like an Eric Foley, who is, whose rights were traded to St. Louis, uh, does he sign after the season? Or players, like I mentioned, Rempel, does he forego his college career after two years and, and pick his team after this year, or does he go back again another year if he doesn't like for whatever reason? So that, that, that's kind of an interesting part of this type time of year, and uh, those are a couple guys uh, certainly to keep in mind. Um, you know, Ryan Lindgren signed today uh, the the Bruins draft pick who was traded in the Rick Nash deal. Rangers are going to sign him now. He's a guy who will probably start in Hartford and try to work his way up on a young team that has defensive uh, you know, opportunities on that organization. So it's, that's what makes it fun for me, uh, hurtling in the NHL world and the college hockey world, and I can see people coming. I try to warn people about Ryan Donato. He's going to be good right away. <laughs> so it, 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 it's a fun thing to hurdle. Straddle. I guess straddle is a better word. Straddle hurdle. That's all the same. Uh, two more for me, uh, Bucci. Uh, St. Cloud State. Tell me a bit about them. They seem like a, a glamour pick for a lot of people in this tournament. 
Yeah, well, you know, again, the, the team that is, um, you know, the number one team in the country right now uh, really, you know, has been going strong all year long and, you know, very, very well coached, of course. And uh, just a team, you know, with, with many feel the strongest conference um, in, in college hockey. Bob Motzko is a guy who has had good success at the world junior level. And, you know, he's 56 years old and he's kind of right in that groove and a Minnesota native uh, went to St. Cloud State. He could be a guy with this Minnesota Golden Gopher job apparently opening up with Don Lachia stepping down. You know, they might look at a guy like Bob Motzko uh, as a guy who's built a great program in St. Cloud, has had world junior gold medal success, a uh, real demanding guy, and uh, so really well coached um, and a team who's, uh, you know, re- ready to go. Yeah, and, and perfect segue, man. That's why you're a pro. Uh, Don Lucia reports say he is uh, stepping down. No idea if that's a step down or a force out. But your thoughts on the end of a 19-year a tenure at uh, Minnesota? Yeah, a couple of national championships. Never a Minnesota guy, you know, a Notre Dame grad. And you know, that, that kind of, you know, that, that sometimes means something to, 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 to some schools. And that's kind of Motzko's deal. You know, he played at St. Cloud State. Maybe they look at someone like Ryan Patoni, a guy who played at Minnesota, had some nice success at Northern Michigan, almost getting them to the tournament. Um, so, yeah, Lucia really had, I think it really wore him down. I did a game in Minnesota last month, uh, Ohio State in Minnesota, and, and just speaking with him the last couple of years, it just seemed like it started to wear on him. Uh, the criticism season tickets were down this year. Um, that's always a red flag for an athletic department. Um, that being said though, I, I don't know, you know, one reason why he may have grinded it out the last couple of years, they had poor facilities in terms of a locker room and, and a, and a weight room. And the last couple of years, they have built a beautiful shrine. That's as we know, in all sports, that's what you got to do and redoing the underbelly uh, of their rink at Mariucci. It's a beautiful, beautiful locker room now with great facilities. And that's something you got the sense. He wanted to make sure he did that before he left. And, you know, he's got a nice big house in Alaska, and he's done well, and his kids are of age now where they've moved on and beginning their successful careers. So, uh, yeah, not a big shock to me, but that obviously is a huge plum job. They get any players they want. And it's just be interesting which way they go. They bring in a Bob Mosco. They bring back Ryan Patoni. Um, of course, Jake Gensel's dad is an assistant. The players like him. Do they, do they promote him? What does the AD want to do? Does he want to make a splash? Does he want to play it safe? Uh, it's going to be a great watch for college hockey media folks like me and, and fans and, and Minnesota fans to see what happens there. It's only one answer. Daryl Sutter. Uh, Bucci, <laughs> dollars, dollars to donuts, buddy. Finally, what, do you, what would be your Stanley Cup final if you had to make a prediction right now? Wow. Um, I've been on Nashville for two months, and now they're going so good. I almost feel like it's kind of a, you know, just like a chic pick. Uh, <laughs> just felt like, just felt like they kept adding to a really good team from last year. Pekka Rennie's having a career year. Yeah. Um, he should win the Vezina now. I think he's moved past Vasilevsky. Um, he's never won one in his career. He's a couple of second place finishes to Tim Thomas and Kerry Price. Um, so I think it'd be great for him to get that award. Um, and so I, I do think, and they've really strengthened themselves up the middle and with depth and with character. They're, they're just ready to return to the, to the, to the final. Um, you know, the Eastern Conference, the Bruins are obviously cooking. If they get healthy, they're going to have three outstanding lines um, that can rival the Penguins, which no one has really, you know, thought was possible. Um, they're both a little suspect on the defensive end, on the back end, I think, the Bruins and the Penguins. 
um, where they could be susceptible to a matchup. What's the best matchup? Tampa has fallen so much that they, they almost seem like a lock. Can they regain it, and will the, uh, the playoffs be enough to get their attention and get them back on? I would still lean towards Tampa Bay, Nashville, even though Tampa Bay has to make some people nervous right now. Um, I think if I had to bet the paycheck, that's how I usually pre- preface these bets. If you have to bet a paycheck, you're forced to, you got to, where would you go? And I would probably go Tampa and Nashville. Well, if you're telling Emily and me that we got to split our time between Florida and Nashville, I suppose we could probably do that, right? Not terrible, though. In June, I'd probably rather be in a Boston or a Chicago <laughs> or a Tampa. It is humid. You make a, you make an excellent point. Pucci, you're the best. Everybody check them out during the uh, NCAA men's hockey coverage, and we'll talk to you down the line. Thank you, boys and girls. Yeah, as Bucci mentioned, the Nashville Predators are uh, creating some daylight. The, the Preds, uh, 106 points as we do the show today. Uh, a clear favorite for the uh, President's Trophy. I mean, they got that thing on lock uh, and absolutely rolling into the playoffs. But it gets a lot more interesting as we get towards the bubble in the West where you have the uh, Sharks and the Kings and the Avs and the Duckies and the Stars and the Blues, all separated by a span of six points. Uh, what's your take on the bubble in the West, Emily? It's become a lot of fun. I, I was a little worried that all these playoff races were going to be settled. And as we talked about last week, with the team like the Blues that all of a sudden made this crazy run at the end, like it's not going to be the case. I'm really worried about the Stars, a team that's been so hot all year. I, I just don't like the way they're playing right now. Um, I have faith in the Blues. Everyone knows I've been such a fangirl of the Blues this year that like, I, I feel like I, I just want to will them in. I want to do it for Vlad Tarasenko. And speaking of willing in, I, I feel like the Avalanche have made such a strong case with Nathan McKinnon. I, I just can't believe we're in this point. Yeah, and I, I, to me, the, the Avs are now my, my cause uh, that I'm rooting for. I think what McKinnon's okay. done this year is incredible. Um, he probably has the Hart Trophy in his hands if they make the playoffs. And just, just to, you know, all the crap that that team's been through since the Patrick Waugh re- resignation, uh, to me, this is such a vindicating year for, for him, for Jared Bednar, the coach, for Joe Sackick, the GM, uh, making the big Duchesne trade and still making the playoffs is something that I don't think a lot of us could wrap our heads around, but here they are. I- I'm with you on Dallas being in trouble, especially because they play like garbage on the road. Their last three games uh, of the season are in California, so that's a big, a big, uh, 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 exclamation point for me. Um, I'm also hoping the LA Kings make it. I'm pretty sure they will. I just find the playoffs are a lot more interesting with the Kings in it. But as far as best, we did a, th- a roundtable earlier this week on ESPN, best team that could miss the playoffs, and you hit mine. Uh, it'd be Dallas, which, you know, I-, I give Jim Nill so much credit for making these bold swings in the offseason and bringing in Hansel and Mathot and Bishop and all these people, uh, Radulov, and like three of the four have been injured beyond belief. I mean, Hansel's done. Mathot's missed a ton of time. Bishop now is injured down the stretch. I just feel I feel real bad for them that they've had some really bad luck. They're not played great, but they've also really had some bad luck with the acquisitions they bought in. I'm with you. Bad luck. Bad, bad luck. And then over in the Eastern Conference, my sweet, beautiful devils, hanging on for dear life. 82 points. Uh, three up on the surging Florida Panthers who have two games in hand on the Devils and Columbus, uh, can't lose anymore apparently. Eight in a row. They win a game they probably shouldn't have won in Boston in overtime. Uh, they're three up on the Devils and, uh, challenging the Philadelphia Flyers for third and potentially the Pittsburgh Penguins for second in the Metro. You think the Columbus Blue Jackets are locked 
Or do you think that this streak could be followed with a little bit of a tumble at the wrong time? I'm totally all in. I love my, myself and John Tortorella, and maybe this is just me willing him into the playoffs so I can get a listen to his press conferences. But, uh, yeah, when you win <laughs> nine straight, which I believe it is as we record this, it's pretty incredible. And we always talk about the playoffs. It's all about the teams that peak at the right times. Yeah, and the Devils, to their credit, uh, are in the midst of a hellish run uh, where they've done quite well. Wins over uh, Vegas in Vegas, wins over uh, L.A. in L.A., uh, win a win in Nashville, uh, Sharks at Sharks at Pittsburgh, and then Tampa at home Whoa. to end that stretch. So if they come out of that unscathed, I think they're going to be all right. But those Florida Panthers uh, seem pretty damn determined to make the playoffs, and if they do, then all of a sudden we could add uh, Sasha Barkov's name to the MVP race because everybody gets an MVP this year in the National Hockey League based on how things have gone. It's pretty crazy. All right, coming up after the break, Jason Zucker of the Minnesota Wild. You're listening to ESPN on Ice. So I was in Vegas last week, and I got a chance to catch up with Minnesota Wild forward Jason Zucker, who happens to be the only Las Vegas native in the league. Now, this interview was done in the lobby of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, so you might hear some background noise that reflects that. But the first question I wanted to know from Jason was, how surreal is it to finally be in Vegas to play an NHL hockey game? There's a lot different uh, coming here for work than, than usually um just being able to come and hang out with the family and um, be home. Yeah. So you've done so much for the hockey community here. I know you work really hard, and so does your family. Can you just describe to me how hockey has grown in this area? It's been huge. It's it, from from where it used to be to where it is now. It, it's grown quite a bit, and and I think the the Golden Knights are um, doing a great job. From what I've been hearing, making sure that they're building that youth hockey as well, because they know that that's what's gonna continue to grow hockey in America so um, it's pretty cool and to be a part of it um, every summer you know trying to come back and help the kids any way possible you know do a few camps here and there and just uh, drop in and for a few practices and um, just try to have some fun with it. What was hockey like when you were growing up here? Um, well when I first started it was all roller hockey and then it kind of grew from there and grew into uh, into ice hockey and, and got a little bit bigger but um, you know, I think now that, that that they have a team that they can root for in their own hometown, it's going to grow, you know, tenfold. Uh, I know you love being a member of the Minnesota Wild. Is there just like a little piece of you that's jealous of the ride these guys are having in your city? <laughs> they're uh, they're doing really well. They're doing really well. But um, for me, there's there's a lot that comes with playing at home. And um, you know, I love being in Minnesota. I think it's great. Um, you know. Anytime uh, that, that a team is in, in your home city, it's obviously a, a cool thing. and um, It's going to be a lot of fun to be playing here tomorrow night. I always hate asking guys of how many guy people they have coming and how much you had to spend on tickets, but I understand that you didn't have to pay for two of them because your parents were season ticket holders for the nights. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have quite a few people coming, which is great. And, and my family, my wife and kids came as well. And um, her parents and her siblings came. Um, so we've got a big crew coming. Um, we've got a lot of friends that already bought tickets. That I'm just throwing a few passes in for to say hello after, too. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't too bad, but it, it's going to be great to have a good group here. Are your parents big Knights fans? They are. They, My dad more so than my mom. Um, they, they love coming to the games. And um, for them, it's nice to be able to have some pro hockey here to watch and be able to see all the stars come to town. And, um, it's a lot of fun for them. 
so you're having a terrific season, but one of my favorite things that happened this year is you had a kid, and it seemed like there was this big conspiracy theory going around that you had a little bit of slump right after he was born, and then you went on the road and you started scoring, and fans were super concerned about your sleep. Can you tell me what happened there? Well, my wife started that. She was the <laughs> It's one her that, fault. Yeah, it's her fault. She started that on Twitter, and, and uh, she started asking for host families from when I was in Minnesota, <laughs> Um, she went set she you went, up with a billet. Yeah, exactly. She was uh, she was all on board with it. So at that I give her full credit slash um, responsibility for. Um, but uh, you know it, she had a lot of fun with it, and I was getting plenty of sleep. And I sleep in the guest bedroom for game nights. I mean, she makes sure that I get plenty of sleep. So it was all in good fun. Coaches are known for coach speak and the kind of saying you know their own sayings. What's your favorite Bruce Boudreaux saying that he says a lot? Oh man. Um, Oh my goodness, that's uh, that's a really hard one. He has he has quite a bit, but I mean, one that he says quite a bit would be um, make simple plays simple. Okay. And uh, I have no idea. That's like a Yogi Berraism. Yeah, exactly. It, it's um, when it's basically when you see an easy play, just make the easy play. Don't try to you know look for a, a, a better play or a harder play. If you, if you see one that's easy, just make it. And okay. That's pretty much what that one. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to be freaking out a little bit about the curfew for you guys. Has you noticed him being a little stressed about that? Yeah, I mean, I think for everybody, it's you know, especially the first time in Vegas um, for the coaches and being here for business, not for pleasure, is is a lot different. So um, I think they're all a little bit worried about it. But um, you know, realistically, everybody here, we know we're here for work, and we know that this is a business and this is our job. So. Um, I'm sure everybody's going to be just fine. I saw some of your teammates come out already. They all had water bottles in hand, so they're hydrating. Yeah. <laughs> well, they better be. I mean, that's uh, that's going to help them tomorrow night. But, um, you know, I think everybody's excited. I mean, I think most of the hype is because of March Madness. I think guys are excited to watch some basketball games and, um, uh, you know, just be able to go grab lunch and on the strip and just watch some basketball. The nexus of being here when it's, like, March Madness and St. Patrick's Day weekend, it's a right. pretty interesting time to be here. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what makes the whole thing the craziest. But, um, you know, that that's going to add a, a bit of energy around and around the building for the game, so that should make it a lot of fun. All right, I'm going to end this by talking college hockey. Yeah. Uh, we're going to ask you a couple questions. What? Uh, why is your program the best? You went to Denver. They're, Give me your recruiting pitch. They just... Uh, they know how to win. They know how to win. Doesn't matter if it's Quasdecki or, or Montgomery. They know how to win games, and I think that's just the culture that they have there at Denver. And um, it makes it a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be around there. I had a great time there, and, and I feel that they they make you ready to be a pro. And I think that's the biggest key is, is making sure that you're ready for that next step. Who's their biggest rival? Colorado College for sure. And why do they stink? Um, can't recruit. <laughs> can't recruit. That's uh, the biggest thing in college hockey for any sport is, is recruiting. So. Um, you know, I think Denver's a great city, and, and uh, that's another big part of it is being in a great city. Colorado Springs is actually beautiful, um, but uh, it, it's a it's a big rivalry for us. Um, it's a lot of fun to be in that rivalry, and um, you know, it's it, for me, it's great to see that uh, CC isn't playing well. What's your favorite memory playing college hockey? Um, man, probably playing in the final five. Actually, the final five in, in, at the Exxon Center um, was always incredible. My two years, we played against North Dakota in the final. We lost both games, actually. But seeing the Exxon Energy Center, uh, 18,000, 19,000 people for a college hockey game was electric. It was just, it was a lot of fun. So they haven't had the selection show yet, but who do you have winning this year and why? Denver. Um, I think they're a better team this year than they were last year, really? actually. And, um, you know, they, they have 
um, Borgstrom and they've got Terry and they've got a few of these guys that are back that are their key guys and if they continue to play well then they're going to be fine. There's a couple college hockey guys in your locker room. Do you guys talk smack or a little trash talk? Every once in a while we do. It's not quite as much as I thought. It's, it's Sometimes it's hard for us to keep up with, with our schedule and us playing Fridays and Saturday nights and you know us traveling and everything. So sometimes it's hard to keep up but um, definitely the CC guys I give them definitely a, little, a lot of flack. Our thanks to Jason Zucker of the Minnesota Wild and now it's time for our favorite segment. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Good one. (laughs) The addition of Amanda Kessel to our sounder, I think, has really elevated the segment. I have to text her about that. I think she's going to love it. (laughs) Uh, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, of course, is the uh, segment each week. And we take a look at the hockey media and the hot button or hot take issues that uh, are being regurgitated by said hockey media. This week, it has to do with the Professional Hockey Writers Association, where by a vote of 174 to 40, that's an 81.3% margin, the PHWA announced that every member's awards ballot will be made public beginning this season. So 170 ballots for the NHL awards, they're all going to be made public. So everybody who has ever been like, who gave blah, 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 a vote for the Selkie, uh, can find out who blah, blah, blah was that gave blah, 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 the vote for the Selkie. Your, your thoughts on transparency? Transparency is always an amazing thing. And I think there's nothing that we in the media like more than giving ourselves importance and, and being able to talk about things that we feel like we deserve. Something I think is hilarious as I'm here in Boca Raton is that there was a potential, uh, item on the agenda that was discussed of the GMs possibly taking the award votings away from the writers. And, you know, we talk about why we need transparency and maybe people didn't want it because there's a conflict of interest. Well, if there's a conflict of interest for writers voting for awards, can you imagine the conflict of interest for GMs? <laughs> right, exactly. And they already get their, their, their votes for the, for the, the Vezina, so they can have that award and be happy with it. Um, I, I, listen, it, we, as journalists, we're always asking for transparency. We clearly can't ask for things that we don't offer ourselves, so it only makes sense to make the ballots mm-hmm. public. I will say that the, the, the count, two things on this. First off, it's kind of a joke that, uh, the total number of votes was, uh, 204, or, or I'm sorry, 212, uh, total. Uh, or, I'm sorry, 214 rather. I'll get it right at some point. Uh, 214 when there are over 300 members of the PHWA, which means a good chunk of the uh, membership did not vote on this issue, which is a pretty vital issue. So hopefully, uh, there aren't anybody, there isn't anybody who didn't vote that'll come back and be like, why do we have to make it that big? And then the other thing is, is that having been a part of these meetings for years and having debated and discussed this issue for years, I will give props to the other side. I don't think they're right. I think the right vote was made here, but I will say that for those writers who were like, you know what, I want to make this vote and I don't want to have a bunch of people on social media hassling me uh, about why did you do this or why did you do that? Um, I get that. It can be very annoying. I don't necessarily think it's a reason to not put your vote into the public uh, domain, but that's fine. And I also sympathize with those beat writers that are like, you know what, if you make my vote public, it's going to create another level of, of friction potentially with myself and the team. Uh, the team, the players, asking me why I didn't put over a certain player for an award. They see me as an extension of the PR staff already. Like, it just creates more headaches than it than it than than it's deserved. I understand that too. Again, I don't think ultimately it's the reason to not put, make the votes public, but I understand the counter arguments and I respect those who dissented 
the 40 people who didn't want these uh, uh, ballots made public. Yeah, that's fair. It's totally it's fair, but but you're wrong. <laughs> Here you no, go. No, no, it's fair. Totally fair, but you're wrong. The unofficial slogan of ESPN and Ice. Uh, all right, now it's time for some puck headlines. Let's start Dateline Nashville. Pekka Rene, uh, who uh, John Butchergrass was mentioning earlier, has an 11-game winning streak and is a 1.64 goals against and a 9.50 save percentage during that streak. He's got the Vezina in the bag, I have to imagine. Should we extend that love, Emily, to the Hart Trophy and make Pekka Rene the 54th person that will be garnering Hart <laughs> Trophy votes this year? Well, I always find the discourse around goalies and the Hart Trophy really interesting, right? So since Dominic Kosick won it back-to-back years, like in the last 20 years, only two goalies have won it, most recently Carey Price. And the reason I find it interesting is that the thing with players is they only play a third or a fourth of the game. The goalies playing a full game, I just think it's kind of an apples to oranges, you know, comparison of who has more value. Honestly, a goalie should win every year. Uh, that said, I, I think, like you mentioned, there's so many candidates for Hart. I don't know if he stands above the rest, but he definitely, you know, has entered the discussion for sure. Yeah, I think in the cases of Hashik, it was a combination of two things. It was one, him putting up like superhuman numbers that no other goalie could could touch, sure. and then also, you know, the eye test of the Buffalo Sabers to say these teams are jarring, giant, festering dumpster fires if it's not for this goalie dragging them, kicking and screaming to the postseason. I don't quite think that Pekka Rene has that equation. I mean, his numbers are great. Are they exponentially better? They might be by the end of the streak. But he certainly it, it certainly isn't a case where the, the, the national predators are being dragged, kicking and screaming to the postseason uh, based on this effort. Not not to diminish it, I just think he's he's, you know, on a pretty damn good team. So... I'm not quite sure if he's got the necessarily the necessary uh, 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 attributes that you look for in a, a heart-winning goaltender, but uh, he's got the Vesna in the bag. Uh, Dateline Denmark. <laughs> Swedish media, my favorite kind of media, is reporting that Connor McDavid will likely play for Team Canada in the IIHF World Championships. There's been reports today that Patrick Kane might play for the United States in the IIHF World Championships, being that the Blackhawks will not make the playoffs. A rare opportunity for Kane to represent his country in an international tournament such as this. As it's shaping up, is this World Championship going to be filled with a multitude of star players in a way that'll basically be a giant middle finger to the NHL for not having gone to the Olympics? It could be, and I will say this. I don't think Kane and McDavid are talking about even going if they had the opportunity to go to the Olympics this year. I think, you know, after the taxing, disappointing seasons each guy respectively had, they would just want to rest up. But now they feel the need, you know, the burning fire inside them to represent their country and keep playing and, and win a gold. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a middle finger. I don't know if they're directly doing it for that, and it's just circumstance, but it's not a great look for the league. Yeah, I hope everybody goes. I hope it's like Lundqvist, Tavares, Oh Carlson, yeah. Tar- Tarasenko, like if they don't make it, like Johnny Gaudreau, like I, I hope everybody goes and makes it sort of like this Jack giant. Eichel. Yeah, Jack Eichel. Yeah, and they, and they make it a giant sort of subversive look look what you cost the people type tournament that becomes a better, more entertaining tournament than the cup tournament. 
Like, wouldn't that be amazing if, if more people were like, oh man, I gotta check out this game from Denmark than they are like, oh, I gotta check out this first round series between the Lightning and the Blue Jackets. Honestly, watching like Eichel and Kane on a line together, Goudreau, Eichel, and Kane on a line, what we thought we were gonna get in the Olympics, like, that would be amazing. I would tune in for that at any hour. There you go. The year that the NIT is more exciting than the NCAA tournament. That could be the IIHF World Championships. Exactly. Big game tonight. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot you're in the junior circuit tournament. You know what? My, my, Fun story. Uh, go ahead. Before I went to Penn State, we were in the NIT tournament. My dad and I went. It was at Madison Square Garden. And it was the most fun I had at a sporting event because we sat next to Justin Tuck, who happens to be a Notre Dame fan. And we had the aisle seats, and he had the inside seats. And he bribed us to switch, I think, with popcorn just because he needed to stretch his legs. <laughs> That's all I got. I think popcorn's a pretty good bribe. Also, yeah. I want to thank uh, Michigan State for completely ruining every bracket that I, I held in my hand this year. They, uh, boy, they were terrible. Um, Dateline, uh, the bench. This season will be the first season in the NHL since 67, I'm sorry, 66-67, where no head coaches were fired. We've written about this before on ESPN, but what was your take on why we haven't seen this? Yeah, I had an article about this probably like a month ago. Um, I talked to a couple of people about it. And honestly, it's a year of mitigating circumstances. There was so much turnover in the last two years uh, that when you look at the people, the suspects who would have been fired this year, they're all first-year head coaches in kind of a rebuild. You know, you look at Rick Toshit and, and you look at what's going on in Buffalo and, you know, the roster that he inherited there. Uh, that's the reason why we haven't seen firings. And then you got a team like the Oilers. That was the one that I found the most interesting because everyone is clamoring for change there. Well, not just have the Oilers been bad, but their AHL team has been just as bad. And usually the go-to uh, interim guy is the AHL coach, so they couldn't uh, put the put the tag on him. I also wonder if it's just sort of like, you know, what's the sense of firing someone and trying to turn a season around that's already sort of lost? You know, when you have a, someone like Rasmus Dahlin at the top of the draft, you know, why why try to turn things around? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. if you're bad and you know you're out of it, just you know keep keep your coach around and just comp- continue to descend down the depths of the of the standings. I think that's what and I would. The lottery do. system is supposed to you know prevent that from happening, right? It's supposed to safeguard it. But yeah, I, I do I think you're does. right in the sense where a team like the Rangers just want to tear it down anyway. What's the point of uh, you know firing Elaine Vigneault? you know, a third or a halfway through this year. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Like, the Rangers obviously want to tank as much as they can, um, and and bringing in somebody who could energize this team is the opposite of what they want to accomplish. Right. That's an excellent point right there. That's a perfect example. Uh, Dateline, the Norris Trophy. John Carlson of the Washington Capitals has caught John Klingberg in the scoring race amongst defensemen. Can the Dallas Stars defensemen win the Norris if Klingberg doesn't lead the NHL in scoring for a defenseman? So if Klingberg isn't leading scoring, can he still win the Norris? That's Correct. the question, right? That's his calling card. That is his his big uh, plank in his platform for the Norris is, I'm leading the NHL in scoring for a defenseman, and now all of a sudden he isn't. Yeah, I think it's difficult. Um, you know, I've watched a handful of Dallas games recently. He's a good defensive defenseman. He's not the best. You know, I, I do think that the thing that is driving him in this Norris conversation is his offensive, you know, capabilities. His offensive numbers are really strong, and I think that will buoy him. But uh, as we wrote for ESPN.com this week, I think this is a year where legitimately, like, I could make the case for 10 guys to win this award. And, and that's why my hunch is it's going to go to a guy like Hedman, who's pretty good all around and not, you know, 
does isn't blowing everyone out of the water in either area. Yeah, and I kind of get it, get the sense, and I've gotten the sense since the beginning of the season that it, it was his time anyway. Like you know, people were mm-hmm. sort of uh, excited to to reward him with the trophy. I didn't get a chance to participate in the roundtable this morning, but I think. I think I would probably want to make a case for PK Subban. I, I remember his numbers being yeah. exponentially better than I expected. I think he's a guy who, much like Pekka Rene, might get a little bit lost on how good that team is overall. Um, but I think a case could definitely be made there. And I, I, I'd have to revisit Hedman's underlying numbers, which really didn't blow me away the last time we did the awards watch, uh, to see if in fact you'd have my vote. But you're right. Like every award is sickly close this year outside of the Calder and probably the Jack Adams. Uh, Dateline. The greatest toy store there ever was. I'm not talking about FAO Schwartz, although these two, you know, New York area kids that do this podcast probably do appreciate <laughs> FAO Schwartz for what it was. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about Toys R Us, expected to close all of its remaining stores in the U.S. Uh, over the next few months due to uh, bankruptcy and what have you. Is there any chance that future generations will understand what exactly we had in not only Toys R Us, but other gigantic toy stores. No. And I think we tweeted about it, right? Like future kids are going to be like, Hey mom, like, you know, the, the target toy aisle, like there was something that was more than just that, that we could go and get things. Like, it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, where this is trending. Um, either that or the fact that they're just all shopping on Amazon and, and that's probably where they get their toys. But the joy of going to Toys R Us, I didn't get to go often, but when I did, it was always special. It was always special. I mean, it was always dirty and it smelled sometimes, but that's fine. That's every store that involves a bunch of kids. I wasn't very observant when I was young. Well, you have to remember, I was, I lived in Jersey. So the, the, I loved going to, I loved going to Toys R Us for a couple of reasons. One, Star Wars toys, obviously. Two, starting lineup figures, which was always super exciting because you would go through the stacks and stacks and stacks of the hockey guys and the football guys, basketball guys to find the ones that you didn't already have. And it was tough because as a kid, when I was collecting starting lineups, they always made it sort of region specific. So, you know, you'd have to go through a billion different, uh, you know, Jets players to find like the one Giants player that you really needed for your collection. And then the other thing that I always loved about both Toys R Us and KB Toy and Hobby uh, was going in the back of the store to the land where action figures from failed movie franchises would die. Like, it was so exhilarating as a kid to go back there and see, like, a figure from Waterworld available for a dollar. <laughs> like, I would never have a use for a Kevin Costner Waterworld action figure, but damn if I didn't buy one because it was a dollar. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Finally, Dateline. I really have no response for you right there. (laughs) (laughs) What was your jam at Toys R Us? What was the thing that you collected as a a kid or played with as a kid? Uh, I was a big board game person. I I think that's probably the least surprising thing I could have said right there. (laughs) Like, I always was clamoring, like, can we play life? The game of life. Board games also got really interesting for a while, too, because, like, they stopped... Toys R Us stopped like, just you know, stacking hungry, hungry, hungry hippos and and games that were like ripoffs of hungry, hungry hippos and had like really interesting variations and in, like different kinds of board games. I I've always wanted to explore the idea of having board game nights as an adult, but I have to admit that in the times that I played like Trivial Pursuit with others and got really bent out of shape about the way guys others were playing or the way I was playing, I think I'm too competitive to play well with others on a board game night. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to play a board game with you. 
I don't think Fair that's enough. something that's ever going to happen for us. I don't think so either. I think going to a bar would be better. Dateline, uh, by the way, just to make this all about me, Dateline, uh, Gre- uh, Greg finally saw Black Panther. <laughs> Emily, I finally Dateline, saw Black Panther. Greg sitting in, yeah, Dateline Greg sitting in a chair. Okay. <laughs> I literally was shocked when you tweeted that because I'm pretty sure it was like two months after the movie came out, but let's go on. What did you think? I really, really liked it. Uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was one of the more well put together of the Marvel films. I thought by far the most talent in front and in back of the camera of any of these films. Um, if I had to, to, to give it a demerit, I wasn't too crazy about the final fight at the end. It, it, you know, no spoilers here, but like the, the final fight between the two, the antagonist and the protagonist, I thought didn't really meet what I hoped and expected from it. And then I also mm-hmm. felt like, the big fight that was going on during it was sort of reminiscent of the fight from Civil War where it didn't seem like anyone wanted to kill each other. They were just kind of fighting because they had to fight. And I didn't think there was enough stakes uh, at play there. Um, but but as far as it being, a, a, I mean, it's top. My top two remain the Avengers and Winter Soldier, but Black Panther might at the end of the day be number three. Well, honestly, I think that speaks volumes because you had six weeks of everyone gushing about how amazing it was. And if it still lived up to that standard when you saw it, that's a pretty damn good three. I, yeah, I, I definitely did. I definitely did. You, now, what, I forget your review. You, you, you absolutely I loved adored it. it. I adored it. I thought the feminist vibes were underrated and awesome. Um, the one thing, now that you've seen it, I hated, hated, hated one line in the movie. I thought it oh. was forcing itself to be so culturally relevant. The what are those line? What are, what are those? What are those? <laughs> and everyone in the audience was like cracking up and howling. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? This is ridiculous. A, a meme took you out of the movie. A meme, like a three-year-old meme. <laughs> like we get it. People like that meme. The thing that took me out of the movie, like you have, like you said, it is, it is the feminist vibe. It's the African vibe. It's the mm-hmm. black vibe. It's all these wonderful things that made it like this perfectly unique piece of entertainment except for the need to put the goofy white cia guy oh, uh yeah. in, in 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 the mix at the end as sort of like this don't worry white audience here's your proxy here's a way for you to enjoy this too and i'm just like you don't need that but i kind <laughs> of and i kind of like the point of his existence though where he's just like a little clueless and just kind of along for the ride like every sidekick in every movie that you know yeah. is probably a minority and them just like flipping on its table that was that was cool, and making him sort of the stranger in the strange land thing made sense. But it was just sort of like I don't yeah. know, didn't ring, didn't ring true to the rest authentic. of the film. Authentic, no, uh, authentic, yeah. In fact, all right, it is time uh, now for uh, us to uh, turn it over to the rant line. Hey, Greg and Emily, glad the podcast is gaining momentum. I'm a huge Anaheim Ducks fan. Yes, we exist, but no one likes us, which is nothing new. Now, it was announced that All-Star Weekend 2018 is going to be in San Jose. What? Pundits complain about equal representation for teams in the All-Star game being kind of lame. Yet no one will complain that Anaheim is the only team that is also not the New Vegas team to never get an All-Star game. Definitely feels one-sided. Where is the parody in this choice? We and the Sharks are both successful teams, although we have a cup and more efficient wins. Each team has been in the playoff almost every year since the lockup. So why the snub, Anaheim? I know we are probably the noisy neighbors to L.A. I mean, who doesn't want to go to L.A.? Except for everyone south of L.A. Have you driven on the 405 North? Sincerely, Justin, diehard Duck fan and a fan who apparently never get a hometown All-Star game. 
Justin, thank you for the kind words about our podcast. Uh, I agree, it's a juggernaut. Uh, the I, I, one one point of 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 uh, of, of trivia here: uh, six current NHL cities have not yet been awarded and hosted an NHL All Star game. Okay, Anaheim, Glendale, Vegas. Then there's also Newark, New Jersey, although the Devils hosted one in East Rutherford. Washington, D.C., although the Capitals hosted one in Landover, and then Winnipeg, uh, which obviously just got their team back several years ago. So as far as longevity uh, and uh, and 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 also being a, a pretty damn good team, it is kind of a mystery that Anaheim's not gotten a game. Yeah, I really wish that I had some kind of justification here where it's like, oh, well, this is exactly why they haven't. But I really can't think of anything. And, and like Greg said, I think they've done a lot right as a franchise, especially with fan engagement and, you know, winning games. Um, that They've done a lot of recently that they definitely deserve to get some kind of event. I wonder, I'm pretty sure the SAP Center did a little bit of a mini reservation, renovation rather. Uh, I know it's a pretty old arena, but maybe a year ago, I think they pumped in a couple million dollars to improve the ice. So maybe this is the NHL throwing them a bone for that. that that's all I can really justify. Well, yeah. And, and then on top of that, I mean, you know, you look at the last couple of them, you know, LA gets one. So obviously LA getting one means the Anaheim can't get one uh, for a few years, putting two in the same market. That's probably the thinking there. And then as far as the Sharks go, I mean, it's probably a combination of, be people being really impressed with with the uh, the game operations after they hosted the cup final two years ago or, or I should say were part of the cup final two years ago uh, and then also <laughs> don't don't forget that uh, also SAP uh, pumped a lot of money into the NHL recently uh, as far as them partnering on these stat sites and stuff Connect like that I I hate to be somebody this conspiratorial Emily but I do believe that the SAP NHL relationship may uh hasten the fact that the san jose sharks have now gotten uh two all-star games in a uh, 22 year span yeah well look we really appreciate your call it's a great question and thanks for listening and if you want to call that's everyone else who did not just leave a voicemail uh you can do that and our number is 860-516-1029 and we'd love to hear from you maybe a san jose sharks fan can give a rebuttal Oh, wouldn't that be nice? And uh, thanks to John Buchigras for giving us all the info about the NCAA uh, men's hockey tournament. Obviously, ESPN is all over this thing. Uh, it has now been uh, 14 straight years that an ESPN network will carry every game of the NCAA Division One men's hockey tournament. Bucci, Melrose, a bunch of people calling games for us. Uh, the fun starts Friday, March 23rd. Uh, with coverage beginning at 3 p.m. for all you uh, happy hour folks on the East Coast. And then obviously culminates with the Frozen Four, April 5th and 7th, those games, uh, the semifinals and the final, uh, and that's always a hell of a time. So you can check out our picks and lots, lots more, including a ranking that you'll want to check out on ESPN uh, as well. And uh, that's the show. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Greg Wyshynski. I'm Emily Kaplan. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.